I don't care if you're a Christian, Messianic, or Hebrew roots. I want to know if your theology is biblical. Maybe I'm right. Of course I'm right. If you're going to cite a source, be responsible. You know, cite your source. Your longest college. Hey, we're just having a conversation. There's only 36 people listening anyway, right? You can Google it. Wow, at what point does history matter? At what point does truth matter? An alien invasion. Is it biblical? Of course it is. Look, there's a way to do scholarship and a way not to do scholarship. you got to cite your source. Who's your source? My best friend's sister's boyfriend's brother's girlfriend heard from this guy who knows his kid is going with the girl. And that about sums it up. What up? And shalom. Welcome to the Robin Caleb Show, the show where theology matters, scholarship counts, and theology matters. My name is Caleb Haig. With me, of course, Rob Van Hoff. What up, Rob? How's it going, brother? It's going well, my brother. Getting ready for Israel. Yeah. Are you pumped or what, man? I'm excited. Dude, I'm excited for you. I saw I was online the other day on Facebook looking at my the old kibbutz that I that I was on and they I got very sad because the uh the the mess hall where I worked for 4 months straight every day for 4 months except for on Shabbats, they uh it got old. And so, you know, I'm they were they had pictures of it. They had a party where they came in, they all ate a meal and then they they graffitied all the walls and then they tore the whole thing down. And so I'm seeing, you know, that's where I met my roommate for the first time. That's where I, you know, dropped the bucket of soup on the ground. That's where I cut my finger. Yep. Is it still going to be a kibbutz or is it It's a kibbutz, they... but they're what they're doing is they're making it into like a I think like a, a, a like a school center slash offices slash you know community center kind of a thing. Yeah, there it is. Very sad. Anyway, fleeting life is fleeting. Yep, that's right. But you're pumped. You're going to Israel, man. Mm-hmm. You don't even know what you're in for, do you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have no clue. Uh, I'm like this on my paper, dude. If you could, if you could maybe buy me a couple of shawarmas, and somehow figure out how to send them to me, hot, hot shawarma, <laughs> same day delivery from Israel. Let's do it. I will take. You can it. you can order like New York pizza pie, can't you? Can't you order like uh, a pizza at New York, and they like they over they like put it on a plane and ship it to you? <laughs> <laughs> I guess. All Why right. All right. Yeah, well, because it's a 16-hour flight. Um, okay, so... Well, our, sh- I should say one thing. That Go, our, our, yes. Our uh, generous host, who's going to be driving us around, uh, said, I'm going to show you a couple of my favorite places uh, to eat fish on the Sea of Galilee. Nice. Very nice. So that should be pretty cool. Yeah. I like food. I'm envious. I'm yeah. I'm righteously jealous for you. Okay. Uh, well, welcome everyone to the Rob and Caleb show. Welcome to everyone in the chat room. It looks like we already have a good amount of people starting to show up, which is always nice. Cool. And of course, the Rob and Caleb show is brought to you by Tor Resource. Go to Tor Resource and find all sorts of great uh, art, free articles and all sorts of resources that you can use to dive into the Bible. There's a couple of things going on I want to mention before we go any farther. Uh Leave comments on our radio comment line, 
I give it to you again. Actually, let's put it on the screen for everybody. Is this the right one? Yes. Uh, 253-465-3205. I'll leave it up there for a few seconds for everybody watching. Um, I want to mention just a couple of things. First of all, I don't know if people realize this. Now, we're, uh, I just realized that the iTunes, uh, the, tour, the Robin Caleb show on iTunes uh, has some significant problems right now. We're trying to fix those. They should be fixed by the end of the day. You can always go to torresource.com. Even without a library membership, if you hover over the radio button and then go down to the Robin Caleb show, at the bottom of the page, all of our, every single show that we've ever done is archived right there. You can listen to anyone you want from that page. Okay, so go to Torah Resource, hover over the uh, the radio uh, tab, go down to the Robin Caleb show. On that page, you can uh, listen to all of the past Robin Caleb shows. And another thing that you can do is you can sign up for our show notes, and you should do that because show notes are uh, the way that we try to give you guys links. I'm going to, in the next couple of months, I'm going to be revamping the way that we do show notes, and they're going to become more like a weekly newsletter from us. Not maybe that's the wrong word, but it'll have you know articles, little articles that we're uh, reading from and stuff like that. Uh, maybe some book ideas and some good resources. So uh, they'll get even better. Right now, it's just the links that we use in the in the show. And uh, so yeah, go sign up. And then also the other thing that is going on is yesterday I started a new series on the Robin Caleb Show YouTube page, and that series is called Messianic One Hundred and One. Now this actually comes because of Manim for Yeshua, 144,000. Now, this gentleman uh, is the one who, we've talked about this the past two weeks. Two weeks ago, we read his email or his message on our YouTube to us uh, in which he called me a moron and uh, used some, ad I thought it was hilarious. It was, it was fantastic. But uh, he, he, uh, he got very upset about something. And he was the one who left the comment about excessive, like, what do you say to people who, uh, who, say that you guys are overly scholarly. And my response, of course, was thank you. Well, he wrote back, and after, you know, things kind of calmed down a little bit. You know, his his main point, I, I want to give credit where credit is due here on this. His main point was more to ask, at what point do we just let the, the leading of the Holy Spirit take over? You know, at what point do we leave room for the leading of the Holy Spirit as opposed to overly scholarly you know, at what point do you put your book down and let the leading of the Holy Spirit take over? And this is a good point because I think that the leading of the Holy Spirit is very important in the life of a believer, right? But the leading of the Holy Spirit needs to be held up to the Word of God. In other words, the Mormons to think discern that, is to discern is this the Holy Spirit? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Right, right. Test the spirits. And so, uh, I think that. Uh, and maybe once again, the definition of scholarly and, and that kind of uh, thing is. Um... Well, here's here's something, Caleb. Just, let me insert a comment here. I was, uh, I think, it was on Facebook or something, interacting with a friend of mine who had posted something about saying, "I'm neither Calvinist nor Arminius, yeah. and but I like to poke at both." And so he, there was this thing of. Uh, uh, kind of an idea that people get so locked up in one of those positions that they forget the Great Commission. And there was like a little meme that they had put. But it was interesting is the same person seems to be one who occasionally like throws it out on the table like they want to like uh, talk about how they're neither Calvinist nor Armenian. They're the one bringing it up, you know. 
Um, but then almost it was the same day or the day after I was driving, listening to some radio preacher, and he was saying the same thing. Oh, there's people that get so heady into these theological debates that they they actually miss that they should be um, preaching the gospel. And and so it was two times in like two days that I saw this presentation of of uh, our our challenge to grow uh, in our readiness to give an answer for the hope that's within us, etc., uh, and to be wise as serpents concerning the crazy doctrines that are out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like like but separating out into like oh you're too that's just too heady you're losing the spirit and and instead it should just be spirit and I'm like I think that's a false a false dichotomy I think we we are of necessity we have to take a stand on something look I, I don't know that i don't know that you can uh have a sustainable uh you know discipleship or walk with the lord if you're always saying well i'm not i don't take a stand in that issue or i don't take a stand in that issue or i don't take a stand on that because if i take a stand that's going to mean i have to think and actually be convicted about something and then I'm going to be too heady to act, and then I won't be any good for the spirit. I, that's what it seems to be, uh, at least some characterizations I've seen. So, but at the same time, I want to, you know, I want to be honest in this as well. Look, the fact of the matter is, is that there are people who don't have any training in anything scholarly who are clearly led by the Holy Spirit. And we see, you know, uh, my family has been involved with uh, with different ministries in Liberia. Uh, because my sisters are from Liberia, um, there was a group of guys who came years ago, maybe 20 years ago or so, um, to the the Pacific Northwest. They were called Echoes from the Blind, and they were an all acapella singing group. And I would say, I think there was like 11 guys in the group, and I think eight of them were all were 100% blind. And they told us stories of, you know, during war, how, you know, the Holy Spirit, this one guy told me this story about how he was running, He's totally blind. He was running from a gun, you know, from a gunfight. And wow. he said, the Holy Spirit would tell me when to duck and when to hide and these kind of things. And it's the only way that I got out. That leading of the Holy Spirit is something that I've, I've never been led by the Holy Spirit like that. And I, wow, I mean, it just, that is awesome. some, some of the, some of the stories that come from war-torn places or, you know, uh, the Ukraine and Russia back when the, the, you know, uh, when the Jews were being persecuted there and so on and so forth. The leading of the Holy Spirit is something that is real and it doesn't necessarily, you don't have to have a doctorate in, in biblical Hebrew Correct. to have the leading of the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, those cases like that are few and far between. Predominantly what we have is TV evangelists and, uh, you know, preachers in congregations saying that the, the Holy Spirit told them and then they go on to do what? To, to preach things that can't be found in the scripture. Uh, not predominantly. I shouldn't say that. That's, that's, that's probably a misrepresentation. There certainly are good preachers who are led by the Holy Spirit. Anyway, this is taking a lot of time. The whole point is this whole conversation that we had with Manim for Yeshua 144,000 uh, spawned the new series on the Robin Caleb Show YouTube page called Messianic 101. In this, you can find uh, it is right now. It is the bare basics. So I, the very first uh, installment I did uh, the words Shalom, Shabbat, and Yeshua. So if you have family members or or something, or if you hear something on one of these one of our shows 
that you don't understand. I've done um, mitzvah, halacha, Torah. Um, yeah. So if you hear something like that, shul, I did shul. So if you hear something like that, plug it into the mess, put messianic 101 and then try to put in maybe a word that you don't know. And those should come up. And hopefully within the next couple of months, I'll actually have enough of those. And once I build the glossary of, of words that people might not know, then we'll get into, uh, you know, basic theologies, basic how to, you know, how, why you would see this at a synagogue, th these kind of things. Um, and hopefully it'll be cool. a series that people can uh, enjoy. Okay. So let's move on. Now, these are, okay. Miguel is in the chat room and, uh, which is which is great, and uh, so these two emails kind of go hand in hand. We're going to read Ryan's first. Now, this came in two weeks ago, so uh, this is about show 180, okay? And right now we're on show 182, um, so this is about show, show 180. Ryan says, and we didn't mean to, but I think we started talking about Calvinism versus Arminian theology in that show, and that's kind of where this is coming from. Um, Ryan says, I was listening to your last show, show 180, when you were talking about election. The way you describe the issue suggests that you see Calvinism and Arminianism as the only options. Are you familiar with corporate election? The view that Yodhevave's purposes of predestination and election, etc., are understood corporately rather than individually. Yes, I am aware of this. In fact, this is uh, one of the arguments that Ar that the Arminian side puts up for uh, Romans 9 quite often, right? That uh, the election was of Israel as a whole. This is why Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And uh, then Israel as a whole was redeemed. And this is how you have election, but not for individuals. He, he goes on. Uh, While I am quite Calvinistic, I find corporate election has a greater explanatory power, sorry, and has a greater balance of the individual and the body while acknowledging and emphasizing the sovereignty of Yodhe I have two questions. Do you think Calvinism and Arminianism focuses too much on the individual? And what are your thoughts on corporate? So this is going to play into a little bit into Miguel's uh, very well. Uh, well, I, I think it's a, a very uh, poignant comment on our Facebook page several, several weeks ago. Um, First of all, I have heard of that, and I think that there is something to it in that I think that Israel as a nation is prophetically representative of us as individuals as well. We are in covenant relationship with God, just as God is in covenant individually, just as God is in covenant relationship with, with Israel as a whole. We are the bride of Christ, just as Israel is the bride of Christ. And within the prophetic uh, salvation story that we have of Israel as a whole, that is coming out of Egypt, God reaching in with a mighty hand, pulling uh, Israel out, going through the waters, coming up, right? Then going and getting the Torah and being sanctified unto him. And unto who? Unto Christ, right? The bride becomes sanctified unto Christ or unto the Messiah. Um, I think that just as uh, God elected Israel, God elects us individually. I think that you do have corporate election going on, especially in Romans 9, but you also have individual election going on as well. Rob, what are your thoughts? Uh, I like what you're saying, dude. I think it sounds right. I think in terms of, I was just looking in Exodus where it says, uh, 
Exodus 26, and then also Exodus 36. It's describing the building of the Mishkan. Yes. So the Mishkan is the tabernacle, and it says, Vayihiha Mishkan Echad, and the Mishkan shall be one. But it's talking about all these parts, right, that you put together. And at the very end of Shemot, or the very end of Exodus, is where it says the Kavod, the glory of the Lord, fills the Mishkan. And it says Mo- Moses finished, he completed uh, constructing the Mishkan. So, um, but if they, if, if they had been disobedient in any of the details, right? This was all on Moshe's shoulders because it says he, the Lord told him, make sure you make it according to the way I showed you on the mount. And so all the builders did not get instruction from God. They got instruction from, from Moshe on the details of how to build. Now it says Betzalel, et cetera, was filled with the Ruach Elohim, with the Spirit of God, and had wisdom and understanding, et cetera, and knowledge. Um, but in fact, it's Moses who, who conveyed the details and oversaw all the parts. And when they put all those parts together, it was one. And then and the glory of the Lord filled the entirety of that tabernacle. And that's an important picture for us because Yeshua, like in, and locally here, we're reading through the Gospel of John this year, and we've just been reading John uh, 15, 16, 17, you know, and he says that we will be one, that they will be one with us, right? That, that uh, talking about the glory of God, you know, that Yeshua had before the foundation of the world, right? Before the creation of the world. Um, and Paul expands on this, says, you are members of one another. Basically, here's the deal, where the, sh- the greatest commandment, right? Here, O Israel, it says the Lord is Echad, he is one, and Yeshua ties to it. We, we can't think of that independently of what he says the next one is, is you shall love your neighbors yourself. What that means is that we are kind of a being that has two aspects. We have a, a, an individual aspect and a corporate aspect or nature, and it, and it, it can't be just one or the other. It's, in fact, both. I am not who I, who God is calling me to be unless I am loving someone else that he, you know, and I'm not who he wants me to be unless I'm receiving love from someone who's been commanded to love me. Hmm. There's no world where Rob is just this Island that I'm able to just walk with God and not have any interaction with other people. So the, the well, how does this tie into election is, is that it's a really good question that is brought up but they're both sides of the same coin. I am an individual. I have an individual side and I have a, a, a collective side. And who I am in Messiah is, is built on, uh, how would you, I don't know if built is the right word, consists of both of those pieces. Can't have one without the other. So I got a question. So for, uh, okay, go ahead. But real quick, I, I, I mean, it just came to mind. Jeremiah 1, remember Jeremiah, he says before... Before uh, I'm gonna, I sanctified you from the womb or something, right? He's talking. Uh, he says to you, singular, masculine, singular. He's talking to Jeremiah. Um, and we have this, you know, Paul in Galatians one says, "I was separated from my mother's womb, that Christ died for me." Right. That's I mean that's an individual point, and and there are. Uh, 
Well, well, and, and on that note, hang on just a sec, though. On that note, we see the same thing happen in the Deuteronomy 6.4 and following passage, right? Is that it switches between uh, a plural, yes, you all, you, yeah. and personal, you as an individual. Right, right. Shema, Shema Yisrael Adonai, uh, Shema is singular. If it was plural, it'd be Shem'u. Y'all listen, but it's not. It's you as an you, individual here, listen, here. obey, right? But then it says Adonai Eloheinu, our Elohim. Yeah. Eloheinu. It doesn't say Elohecha. It says Eloheinu at there. And then Echad, and then it says, right, Vahavta, and you, singular. So you're right. And in the other sections of the Shema, it goes to, to, to plural. So those are both important. It's a great question. Um, I, I would agree that, I mean, not that I have any sources on hand, but I would imagine that the part of the inspiration behind this email was to just say, look, I've seen places where it seems skewed too much individual, too much corporate. Yeah. So I'd say we uh, let, let's strive to kind of stretch out our horizons to encompass both my individual uh, aspects of my being uh, uh, with those that are corporate. So I want to move on to Miguel's uh, email and or his comment on the YouTube page. And honestly, one of the things that's really been uh, very nice in the past probably three months or so is all the comments that we've been getting on our YouTube page and also in email form. It really does help uh, help us kind of steer the, the direction of the show, which is really nice, actually. Um, OK, so Miguel, he wrote this now. I used to think that Miguel and I were in disagreement about just about everything. If I believed one thing, I could almost guarantee that Miguel would come in with a comment opposing what I believed, which is fine. That's, you know, iron sharpening iron, and that's that's great. Um, however, the more he writes, the more I think we might actually be saying a lot of the same thing, possibly just using different words or a different understanding of words. And actually... This is something that I'm starting to see for people in the Hebrew roots who are now taking up the the title of two house. Two house theology meant something very specific in the 90s, late 90s into the 2000s. And people in the Hebrew roots movement, I think, are beginning to change what that means because they're not quite understanding the way that that people used uh, certain words like Israel and Judah the way that Israel was used was very specific, like in Batya Wooten's uh, uh, books. She uses, she has a very specific definition of who and what Israel is. If you take a different definition of what that is uh, yourself, when you talk about two house things, all of a sudden two house almost loses a lot of uh, a lot of its uh, uh, theological problems, <laughs> I would say, and it becomes much more like one one Torah theology, which is great. But now we're mixing up terms is basically all I'm, I'm trying to say. Right. Anyway, so uh, Miguel writes this, and I, I, I appreciate this comment. He says, uh, in regard to who Israel is, and this is once again going back to show 180, uh, in, in regard to who Israel is, this comment is not opposed not to oppose what uh, was spoken in this episode. My issue with Calvinism versus Arminianism debate, as I understand Dr. White, and for those who don't know the doctor, Dr. James White uh, debates this issue quite often. So uh, Miguel goes on. Uh, my problem with uh, my understanding of Dr. White is that he seems to teach a reform, uh, a form of replacement theology in that the elect is now a post-Christ New Testament church. 
I agree with you. Oh, oh. Doc, I, I believe Dr. White does hold to this kind of uh, understanding of, of who the elect is. You're, this is this is true. Uh, he goes on. My belief is that the whole debate about who is who is Israel, who was cut off and called back to covenant as Gentiles, quote Gentiles, is skewed because the conversation ignores the book of Hosea, where God explains why Israel became Gentiles, but promised to bring them back. I'm not advocating a bloodline salvation. This is important. I think this is, we. I mean, in terms of Miguel's comment, I think this is a very important point that he makes here. I'm not advocating a bloodline salvation. So if this is if this is true, if we take Miguel at his word, which I am taking him at his, his word uh, here, then this essentially throws out traditional two-house theology. Or, uh, yeah, two-house theology. As I understood it from the 90s, particularly, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So if, now we're, let's take two-house off the table now as we understand it from the late 90s, early 2000s, and now listen to what he's saying. I'm advocating that Israel is his elect. I agree. Not a New Testament church creation. I also agree. Israel was and still is scattered to the four corners of the earth, not just Britain and America. And he will gather them, us, back by belief through Messiah Yeshua, who himself said, I came not but for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Yeshua's offering on the cross was the call to return. The directive is to go and preach the gospel, another word that is misrepresented in the church which is the call to return. Yeshua said, my sheep hear my voice. They know me and follow me. Where are his sheep scattered to the four corners of the earth, assimilated amongst the nations, that is the Gentiles, the people that God so loved, the people to be grafted back who were cut off. Okay, now this is interesting here. And I, and I, I want to get okay, the, cool. the opinion, and I know Miguel's uh, listening in the chat room. So he says, the people to be grafted back who were cut off, who are to return to obedience to Torah, not disregarded, be, uh, it, not disregarded because it's for the Jews or even worse, Christ did it for us so we don't have to because the purpose of the Torah was to show us we can't do it on our own, which I've heard Dr. White say. So great, great comment. The one thing that I had, the, the one issue I might take, and I'm not trying to uh, take issue with this because I, as a whole, I agree with what you're saying, especially when we take the idea of bloodline salvation off the table, right? Um, the one thing that I notice here, though, the people to be grafted back in, if we're looking at Romans 11, right? Romans 11 seems to say that, the, that some are broken off. And then the unnatural branches or uh, whatever you want to say, the, the Gentiles are grafted in. So the ones who are broken off and then grafted back in seem to me to be the, the natural branches, right? Right. So in that case, we would be talking about bloodline. But what right, I... But I but I don't think we can... <clears throat> I don't think it's uh, appropriate to... And I don't, I'm not saying this is being suggested by Miguel, but I'm just saying that it's not, I don't think it's... Uh, a proper reading of Romans 11 to suggest that those being broken off and grafted back in somehow points back to Hosea. Yes, yes, I, I agree. Because those people are contemporary. Paul's trying to help believers, believing communities in his day, first mid-first century, who are uh, communities that are trying to work together. Wow, new, new creation of Messiah, Jews and Gentiles together. Wow. Um, and they're trying. He's trying to give them a, a 
a paradigm to understand why there's still people who are bloodline sons of Jacob yes. that reject the gospel. Yes. That's what, that's what Romans 11 is trying to help. Now, his point, Miguel's point about Hosea, because Paul does quote Hosea in this larger passage, but we have to understand that the application of Hosea, that the northern tribes or whatever would be lost or become Gentiles and then would become my people again, what that, does, what that shows is that there is a legal precedent that God that there is no way legally, if this is true, if, if, if some of Israel back in uh, Hosea's day, 8th century B.C. or whenever, was lost and lost their identity, their coming back is, is legally no different than a Gentile who has no bloodline whatsoever being accepted by the God of Israel because they're both reckoned as not my people. Okay, so and I, the, why that's important is because the Paul points this out uh, in Romans and in Galatians that the gospel was preached to Abraham that in you all the nations of, of the world will be blessed and that all count the stars if you can right back in Genesis 15. The idea is that those those stars metaphor you know in the in the in the prophetic image there are those. It says that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. That's Ephesians 1. So how, how God gathers those elect, how, how he gathers those stars out there that are sheep and brings them to Messiah to have fellowship, is that's this wonderful story that we read throughout the Bible. But there's, so there's different phases. There's the, the narrowing down of the, of the tree of, you know, and the breaking off that we see. And then we see this bringing in of, of Gentiles, some of which maybe could trace some back, probably most not, to become full reckoned legally as sons of Abraham when before they were not reckoned as such. I think those are two – is that – so, so yeah, clear? actually, Miguel, uh, he now he he clarifies in the chat room, and this is and this clarifies exactly what what my concerns were. But I, I think he's he's on point here. He says a uh, dispersed assimilation. Uh, I'm sorry, a dispersed assimilated bloodline is a mixed bloodline. And then he goes on. It's no longer a natural bloodline, like mic, like mixing the sugar in the tea. In other words, Jew and Gentile since. Since we know that Jew and Gentile make up Israel, right? And they did in the beginning too. A mixed multitude was the one who got who got the Torah from from Israel. And we see that uh, in the in the uh, millennium, what happens? The the Gentiles that are part of Israel now associate now attach themselves to a various tribe, and that's how they get land rights. So even the Gentiles get land rights in the in the millennium. It's only the it's only the Kohanim who have to be the sons of Aaron specifically that have to be really strict on who they marry and have children yes. with. Mm. Um, good. This is a good discussion. Well, I, I, and, I, I and just, the, the only thing I want to, you know, when I have that discussion with people, like you're talking about, so two houses over the last couple yes. decades starts to change different meaning. And it's good for us to, especially Caleb, like yourself and me, if you look at a lot of the older Torah resource articles free that are free, though the two house notion, um, hopefully is clarified there, uh, to, 
to mean what it meant in those days and wouldn't be conflated easily with what we hear today. But it's good for us to see that shifting uh, um, sense of meaning and uh, to address it and to say, but look, we've got to remember that the promise is that even those who are not reckoned according to the flesh are, in fact— um, you know, and one way to look at this is in, in the book of Acts, right? You have the eunuch from Ethiopia, which could be understood to be a son of Ham, right? And then you have Cornelius, who's from Italy in Acts chapter 10, and he could be seen to be a, a son of, of Japheth. So in a way, you have this this picture of of all the world being sons of Noah in in the big sense, all of whom become uh, reckoned as sons of Abraham in it in, in the work of the spirit. So I had a cursor over your face. I apologize to uh, everyone watching, That's watching you online. Do you have those, do you have those, uh, those cool sunglasses from uh, thug life that you could put on? I mean, digital, digital thug life. I got these. There you go. Okay. Um, let's get this body started. Let's move on. Right. <laughs> let's move on. Uh, this, <laughs> this was, uh, I, I think it's fantastic. I, I mean, it's, it's horrible, but it's also pretty funny. Um, Rob brought this to my attention and, uh, I, I forgot to put the second article in, which is the best part about it. Uh, this is the way that I understand this. The green family who owns Hobby Lobby. Okay. Like multi-billion. Multi. Like- yeah. You know, a, a couple, they, they got caught, caught. And let's see if I can actually hang on. I want to. I want to find this quote. So, okay. when well, I'm, in the background, they're building this Bible museum in D.C. Like it's this huge, major project. That if you go to D.C., you're going to go to this huge building that has all this Bible stuff with historical artifacts and ancient manuscripts and things like that. So, so they're 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 buying up these cuneiform and uh, cuneiform and uh, manuscripts and whatnot for their. So I, initially, I thought they, you know, and, and ancient Near Eastern artifacts. Yeah, and and Green, the guy, like the the main guy who owns uh, Hobby Lobby, he said, "Look, man, we're new at this. We, you know, we don't know. We're learning as we go along." And basically, what happened is they they came into possession of some Iraqi cuneiform uh, tablets that were actually looted back in the day. You know, they they were stolen. Okay, and so. Black market. Uh, black market. And and they got in trouble for it. They got in big trouble for it. Um, and and <laughs> so basically they had to return thousands of different uh, artifacts that were acquired in between 2010 and 2011. Uh, and in, in addition to the uh, $3 million fine that they had to uh, pay. Okay. Now, initially I thought, look, the, the Green family – they're on the up and up. They probably did. It's probably true. They didn't know what was going on. Um, but someone's getting thrown under the bus, right? But well, hang on. No, right now we're just talking about the green family. This Uh-oh. is, this is at the end of this article, which is in your show notes, by the way, according to the, according to associated press reports and who, I mean, come on, do we really trust the press at this point in, in uh, us history? 
Uh, anyway, according to the Associate Press reports, federal prosecutors described activities that suggested willful theft and lies that, uh, in regards to the Green family, including the use of several intermediary dis distributors who relied on false invoices, shipping labels, and paperwork to bypass U.S. Customs regulations. So it seems to me like uh, there might have been the Green family might have understood. Maybe they, you know, maybe they were told something. I don't know. I'm not going to assume that they were. You know, maybe they thought this is how you do. I don't know. I honestly don't know. But uh, the Green family got in trouble, and they they cooperated. They said, "Not a problem. We'll, we'll pay back. We'll pay back the. Uh, we'll pay you we'll the three you million. All, we'll give you all the stuff, and yep. we'll pay our fine." Okay. So then, now this is going to give a little bit more background because. An anonymous letter written by eight staff at Brigham Young University, they sent an anonymous letter to the university administration saying that this, uh, that, uh, I, I, I don't know how to uh, uh, say his name. Uh, anyway, this, this uh, professor was in on the deal with Hobby Lobby. And that he was about to release a book. Let me read you, read you this. This is not in your show notes. I apologize for that. Brigham Young University Greek expert Lincoln Blur, Blurnell Blummel, I'm sorry, Blummel, is baffled by an anonymous letter to the university that, that alleged he is preparing to publish a translation of ancient Iraqi artifacts illegally obtained by arts and crafts retailer Hobby Lobby. Hobby Lobby president Steve Green, Steve, that's his name, Steve Green, earlier this month agreed to forfeit thousands of cuneiform tablets and pay a $3 million fine. Soon after... Afterward, a letter purportedly from eight past and present BYU scholars accused Blummel of violating professional standards by translating some of the tablets and preparing them for publication. Once again, this all has to do with the, in, uh, the biblical industrial complex. You can't publish something. Uh, it's against the scholarly rules of the uh, biblical industrial well, here complex. there's international law, right? There's, there's the idea of yes, uh, but, but, looting and, and trading in... Black but, market of, of antiquities is really Yeah, but you would bad. think that, hey, if, if it's a tablet out there somewhere, we should have a translation of it. What's wrong with that? Right. In America, we would think that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, but that's not the case. And in America, that's not the case either because uh, there's a lot of money that has to be had to publish these things. And people want that money. And that's what the issue is. Okay. So, uh, reading on, adding value to these artifacts and legitimizing their seizure by publishing them, even in reputable, reputable pr presses by trained scholars. Uh, contravenes professional standards of ethics, the letter stated. BYU's repu reputation would be damaged if Blummel did so, the authors wrote. However, and this is this is really where it gets good. However, Bl Blummel said he can't read cuneiform. <laughs> he never looked at the Iraqi tablets and isn't preparing anything about them for publication. My favorite part is that he doesn't even read cuneiform. But yet the, they've... But they're uh, accusing BYU him of has it. has received an anonymous letter accusing <laughs> him. By eight professors. Who did he tick off? Who did he tick? I mean, something else is going on here. These guys are trying to oust him somehow. Uh, he did visit the Museum of the Bible, which Hobby Lobby and Green planned to open later this year in Washington, D.C., but he visited a different collection. Quote, I looked at some Greek papyri from a different find and, uh, and provenance. He said, the larger question, of course, is if Hobby Lobby obtained the Iraqi collection under dubious circumstances, what else 
has been obtained under dubious circumstances in the museum, which is a fair question to ask. My involvement in it was looking at some Greek texts. Nothing involved the scandal about Iraqi material and cuneiform texts. I looked at a total, totally different find and language. If this is true, and wow. I, why do we bring this up? Honestly, it's just interesting to me. I just find it to be, uh, the the funniest part is, I don't even read cuneiform. How, like, how am I supposed to be preparing a book on this? You know, you'd think that the eight BYU professors would think of that before uh, writing an anonymous letter, but somebody wants his job or something. Do we know, do we know who those eight are? I mean, has it been released? I know it was a, because how do we know if it was anonymously sent, did they just sign it? anonymously no because in in one of the other ones they found one of the guys he wouldn't give his name there's something there's there's uh, there's There's something going on there's some political thing going on they either don't want him at byu somebody's grandson wants a uh you know wants to be uh, associate professors who knows i don't know I just I find the whole thing funny. Has, but it, has BYU released an official? Yeah, uh, they said they said, look, we got the letter. We'll we'll, we'll use it, you know, uh, as we would any other piece of uh, information, and see whether or not it holds any weight. So, anyway, I mean, there's no real. It, it once again just highlights this whole story highlights the biblical industrial complex. And in a way, the cite your sources, right? They're, if they're yeah. saying there's been. Uh, 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 invoices forged. That means I'm trying to make it look like it's something that it's not right. I'm trying to, uh, and if you have a paper trail and it sounds like Mr. Green is like, okay, look, you know, he's he's probably very compliant. He says, if you guys want to come and research even our Greek collection or whatever, here's our sources, here's our invoices. And that's a, should be a paper trail that they can see if any other international or antiquities laws have been, broken I, I hope they haven't um but here's an example of wait wait a, wait, of, wait wait hang on on that topic because this is going to play in nicely i also put the link to the knife media in our show notes and this kind of has to do with citing your sources right explain what that is and why yeah. why we put it in show notes oh i i learned of this uh it's it's a company they're called the knife media and they have a methodology a scholarly methodology or a kind of academic for evaluating a news story in terms of integrity. Yeah, whether and, whether or not they're trying to slant it or not. Yeah, and and they have four kind of uh, points that they that they actually read. These are like it's not a computer. These are humans that sit down and they read and they evaluate on four points. One, they look at. Oh, I'm gonna have to remember spin, right? So they look for words. Well, well, it's spin, slant, um, logic, and then data. Right, spin, slant, logic, and then just basic data, and what they, they on those four points, and the, so spin is where is like mysteries revealed, right? You know, <laughs> things where it's like words that are emotionally charged, like, charged, and they get you like really feeling, and just like, oh well, this must be true because it feels like, yeah, you know. So they look for emotionally charged wording. Uh, in a in a news article, they and then so they all identify that. Then they go and look at slant. Slant is where they're not telling you everything. They're leaving details they're just, out. Yeah, yeah, they're cherry picking what they're telling you uh, and mixing that with the spin. And then logic, they're they're saying, okay, is this, you know, is there a is there a, a rational uh, kind of development of ideas here, or is there or is it lo- illogical? And then finally, they just look they. 
say, what are the facts? What are the basic raw data? And, uh, and so they use this, they call it the knife, you know, cutting through, you know, media bias and stuff well, like no, that. Well, hang on. You're missing the funniest part about the whole thing. And I, to be honest with you, I don't know if they're biased or not. I don't like the knife media. They could be oh, biased yeah, themselves. Yeah. Who knows? Sure. I'm sure they probably are. But the, the funny thing is, is that basically their entire mission is a hit piece on CNN, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and like one BBC, other one. Uh, BBC, they look yeah, at BBC. BBC. And, yeah, BBC. And yeah. like... Under every article, how the they kind of BBC do- scores way higher than those other ones. <laughs> yeah, of course. On, on key, but it's on key articles, right? Yeah. Key articles, and and uh, but it's it's a helpful paradigm, I think, for looking at biblical, you know. And that's the is point. Someone, is that's the point. Yeah. Something. Oh, you know the mis- all the mysteries of the Bible revealed. Unlock it, the mysteries. You know, that's spin. Uh, then there's slant. <laughs> I'm, I'll tell you, you know, Hebrew word pictures and all this stuff. Well. There's there's spin and slant. You're not getting you're not given the, all the information. If you were given all the information, you wouldn't you read any further, you know. And and so all these things do tie together. Anyway, that was a, a fun little. I, we're we're kind of all over the place today, just because we uh, we found some stuff that we just sat back and laughed at this week. Um, and this is a this is a great one. Uh, this is supposed to be the main topic. I don't know how how long we could drag this out. This is so ridiculous. It's it's just so ridiculous. And I okay, I know that we have been very harsh on uh, one nineteen ministries in prior shows. Okay, and um, one nineteen ministries actually put out a video that talks about the very issue that we're about to talk about. I uh, give them props where props are due. They they did a fairly good job explaining the truth about this. You know, and they did so in a way that uh, that the layman could understand very easily. This from Bethany. Bethany writes, saw this guy posting on social media and many are classifying him as a Torah terrorist. I don't agree with much of what he has to say, but found this article he create he created interesting. She gives a link, which is in your show notes. He doesn't list primary sources, of course not, but wanted to get your thoughts on the topic of ending prayer with amen. Let's go to the article. This from Yahweh's House Ministries this is probably the most ridiculous thing I've seen as an overall ministry, if that's what we can call it. Um, this is, I don't want to be overly mean or anything, but I sat back and read some of the stuff on this site and shook my head in disbelief, laughed quite a bit. And, but it really is just sad. Uh, so the name of the article specifically is, should we say amen, amen, a, um, amen. I, I don't know. He spells it a bunch of different ways. Or Omain. Let me move my chat room over so that I can see what the chat room is saying. Is it okay. potato or potato? Yeah, exactly. Tomato, tomato. So this is what he writes. Many bow their heads, clasp their hands together. They close their eyes and pray and then say, Amen. Amen. Um, Omain. Omain. Whatever. After praying. However, should we bow our heads and put our hands together, close our eyes, and then end our prayers with something? And if so... What should we say and why? Well, the Bible, truth may surprise you, even shock you. And uh, Okay, that's uh, we call that spin. Yeah. Now, here's the thing about this writer. For our listening audience and for, for, for the people who maybe are in the chat room or listen to us a lot, can I just give – I learned this. I used to do this, and now I realize how annoying it is. 
when you're writing a paper or something like that and you want to emphasize, don't put your caps lock on and then write. What you th That does not show emphasis. It shows that you don't know how to write very well. What you do is you put it in italics. Now, if you're writing on Facebook, okay, I get it. But no, italics is how you emphasize something in a paper. You don't keep the cap lock on. And that's what, I mean, the, the cap lock like is all over yelling. this thing. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like they're yelling at you. Exactly. <laughs> so it, it would be better. Well, the Bible truth may surprise you, even shock you. Right? <laughs> it's it's amazing. So many people do things without ever questioning it, without ever researching it to learn if it is biblical or not. Now, okay, that's fair. Okay. Uh, interesting. Another interesting thing is the way that he spells Yeshua. Anyway, Yeshua Messiah never taught anyone to bow their heads, put their hands together, clo close their. Yeah, sorry, you, you brought it up. How does he spell Yeshua? It's just it's the you know it's he put he put the yah in there. Oh, like Y A H. Yeah. S H U A. Where do? Oh yeah. Oh, I, we've talked yeah. about this many times. That's right. We this have, is yeah. this is a this is a uh, misunderstanding. Some people it's, it's it's only done in English. It's like someone who only knows English and well, they've looked at Strong's concordance. Some people believe that the name Yah was taken taken out of Yeshua. This comes from the the idea, and you, I talk about this in my uh, Messianic 101 on Yeshua. Yahoshua is God will save. Yeshua is salvation, or yeah, salvation. And go watch the Messianic 101 on this. Okay, uh, so Yeshua Messiah never taught anyone to bow their heads, put their hands together, close their eyes, and then end a prayer. In fact, he didn't even teach how to end a prayer. In Matthew six nineteen through 13, he never taught us to end our prayers with anything. Now, uh, people are going to say the Lord's Prayer. Uh, this person is going to claim that that's late, um, so on and so forth. So I want to go down here just a little ways. Okay, this is where it gets... Uh, interesting. Uh, okay, I, I'm trying to see where I should start here. Um, when Christians say amen, they are calling out to the Egyptian god Amun-Ra because Amun, Amen originates from Amun-Ra. Remember, there is no, no, caps lock again, such word as amen in Hebrew or Greek because amen is English. Many false teachers claim on their Facebook posts, websites, and videos that amen is Hebrew, but that is untrue. Uh, this person, now, now, okay, maybe I don't even have to clarify here because he's going to go on and show you why this is, this is perhaps the, the most telling part of the entire article. He's going to tell you why it's not a Hebrew word. For those in the chat room, uh, see if you can pick up the, the nuance of this. Some people try to quote verses such as Jeremiah 28, 6 to try to support the use of amen. However, the, the Hebrew word there is amen, and he's spelling it differently. A-W-M-A-N-E. Does he use any Hebrew fonts or vocalization no. or any? He, uh, Hebrew Strong's number 543, which means so be it. Okay, hang on now. This is where it gets interesting. Some people try to also use verses such as 2 Corinthians 1.20 to defend the use of praising the pagan god Amen. However, when we look in the Strong's Greek lexicon, okay, first of all, okay, when we look in the, I'm sorry, we'll go back and deconstruct. When we look in the Strong's Greek lexicon for Amen, 
In this verse, it's number 281, which according to the lexicon means, so be it, and does not, all caps, not, refer to the pagan god, amen. Amen. The same Greek word appears in verses such as Revelation 3.14. Okay, let's go back. First of all, chat room. <laughs> chat <laughs> I, I, I believe that the chat room is yelling through their computers. Uh, <laughs> chat room, what is, please help me out here. What is the first thing that we notice, uh, and, and this is good for people who maybe are, are just tuning in for the very first time to, to our show. What's the first thing that we should notice in this last statement? He says, some people try to use, uh, also to use verses such as 2 Corinthians 1.20 uh, to defend the use of praising the pagan god, Amen. However, when we look in the Strong's Greek lexicon for Amen, in this verse, it's number 281. The problem is that Strong's is not a lexicon. So, so what you're pointing out is, is that he... This person isn't clear on what the word lexicon means, and well, that it's different than a concordance. So that's one one point. Now maybe but he's I, what I'm trying. Help me understand. Is he saying that that it mat like this is a word, kind of like sacred name? Like you have to say it right, otherwise you're addressing the Egyptian deity. Is that yes? First of all, so, yes. So there is a right way to pronounce this word that we often see spelled A M E N or Aleph Mem Noon. Yes, he's saying that that's a legitimate. There's a legitimate word there you to use, but you have to be careful on how you say it because if you misspeak it, you're invoking uh, idolatrous system. That's correct. But listen to the okay. But what really baffles my mind on this, and and, and actually the chat room's right. Okay, so Strong's I believe does have a Greek lexicon, so maybe he is actually using the Strong's Greek lexicon and not the accordance. But he's referencing. Numbers, and that's why I'm baffled by it. Is because, okay, great point, chat room. That the that uh, Strong's I believe did have a Greek lexicon. I don't use that specific lexicon, but I believe he did have a, a Greek lexicon. That's fine, but I'm not sure why he would be referencing the Strong's numbers. I mean, maybe that maybe yeah, maybe Strong's put all of his numbers in with, but I, I, anyway. Uh, what is truly baffling to me is this. Listen again. Uh, it's number, the Greek number is 281, which according to the lexicon means, so be it, and does not refer to the pagan god Amun. So what he's saying is that since Strong's Greek lexicon doesn't cite Amen as a translation for Amun-Ra, that it's not it's not a Greek or Hebrew word. <laughs> oh, my word. I really don't understand. My brain hurts. He's saying that since, since the Greek oh, lexicon yes. doesn't have Amen Ra as an explanation for this word, it's then Amen, so be it, would not be used. That, yeah, I mean, it's so convoluted. It's so... So, so it's a, is it okay? To, which way is it okay to say and which way is it not? Is that what he is that what he's trying to boil down? I think that what he I think okay, if we step back, if we step back and we and we and we really look at what he's attempting to say is that the word that people are using after they pray <clears throat> amen is not the same word that is used in the Bible. And that the and that the word used in the oh, Bible goodness. means so be it. 
and basically How, okay what's his proof that the word that people use is not the biblical word okay and this is the point though i mean because it seems like everybody if i i, I would pretty much say that 100 percent of the people that like were serious bible believers that prayed if i asked them where they got the word amen they would say they got it from the bible but this guy is saying no they only think that <laughs> they're actually invoking a pagan deity is that what's happening? I got to admit, man. Now that Miguel, uh, now that I've truly understood Miguel, I think I've understood what he's saying. Uh, I, I find him quite humorous. In all caps, he says, "Don't say, don't say Thursday because it's Thor's day." <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, this is the kind of. I mean, this is the kind of thing that we're. Uh, uh, this is what we call a uh, a association fallacy, which is that. If something sounds one like something else, it's like this. This is like Easter and Easter. Easter. Yeah, this is what this guy is essentially doing. Grass is green, frogs are green. Therefore, all grass is frogs. Well, we know that all flesh is grass, and frogs <laughs> are flesh. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but the point is, is that this so is. No, we have we have we have these prayers, uh, doxologies, however you want to call it. We have them in. First Peter, to him be dominion forever and ever. First, uh, twice. We have it in First Peter chapter 4, First Peter chapter 5. We have it in Second Peter. So so Peter learned it from somewhere. Yeah, but, but uh, I, it's okay. In, it's in Revelation. So John learned it from somewhere. But, but this, Jude, Jude learned it from somewhere. But hang on. Uh, wait, wait. Paul, this, per, this person's saying that that's in Greek. And if we were to say it in Greek, it would be a different word than amen. But since the English word is amen, it sounds like amen ra, and that's... That's the problem, is that our so English... How does he know that, so, so he must be an expert in ancient Egyptian to know that amen is the vocalization of uh, the name of the, the Egyptian god. Is that... You know, Yaakov actually brings up a good point. A lot. It seems like in, in the Hebrew roots and Messianic movement, what we are starting to see is no longer the sacred name movement. It's the sacred word movement. If you if you don't say this word right or if you say this word, you know. Oh, I, like, yeah, that's a good point. Like, oh, we don't say Christ because it's a – what was – remember the guy? We say oh, – I'll only gonna oh, say yeah, Mashiach. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because if, uh, it's Greek gods. Yeah, or or ye, uh, ye, Yesu, Jesus is is Zeus. Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, uh, that's uh, another one. You're, you're talking bad. about the guy from Beit Be Tefillah, but they said it differently. Beit, what did they say? Bet Tefillah. That's what I it was. Don't know. Be I don't Beit Tefillah. Anyway, okay. So the basic, uh, you know, the end all point is that um, no, this is totally false. We do have a Hebrew word for amen. Amen. In the scriptures, in Greek and in Hebrew, the Hebrew one actually sounds like Amen. Um, and the idea that this the comes Greek is just a transliteration. Yeah, and the, it's I, not a Greek, right? Yeah. the The idea that this comes from Amen Ra is absolutely false. It's totally ridiculous. There, there's no proof whatsoever. However, Michael uh, in the office next to me, we had a fun time after we uh, read this. Uh, Michael sent me a video uh, that basically said the exact same thing and showing how the Bible is totally false because of you know all these words that have been integrated from uh, pagan religions and whatnot. So uh, pr pretty interesting. Okay, that's all I got.
That's what I got. Next week, uh, Rob will be first week in Israel, and I will be just getting back from a overdue vacation that my family is going to take. And so I think we're going to skip next week as well. I'm sorry. It's just the way it goes. But we'll be back the week after that, hopefully. And Rob will be broadcasting live from Jerusalem. That's our goal. Our goal is for two weeks from today, I'll be uh, having this conversation with you, Caleb, uh, but I'll be on the, I'll be uh, somewhere else on the edge of the flat earth. Yes. and <laughs> But for some reason, it'll be 7.30 at night for me. Yes. Um, so... Well, we'll uh, yeah, we, I got to remember to take a level while I'm on the airplane to watch the <laughs> to see if we ever tilt. Yes. Um, so what we'll be talking about is obviously how Rob's paper goes uh, in Jerusalem. Yeah, I will have done. I will have already. Lord willing, I will have already delivered that paper and uh, my anxiety will maybe be down a little bit. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll be able to hear how many tomatoes were thrown. Um, yeah, so uh, join us for that. You know, I'm not positive. I think we're taking next week off, but uh, you can keep looking at our site. There will be highlights from this show, and then hopefully we'll have a couple more Messianic 101s. If you have ideas for the uh, Messianic 101, then uh, then please send them in. If you uh, were confused by something, if you have words that you want me to explain or theologies that you'd want to explain or even verses that you would want to uh, be explained uh, simply to uh, people who maybe are just coming into the Torah movement or something like that, send them to me because I would love to hear about them and then make videos about them. And of course, you can send them to chag at torahresource.com. That's my email address. It's chag at torahresource.com. And also, don't forget to leave, leave us comments. You can do that, 253-465-3205. 253 and of course, go to Torah Resource and find all sorts of great articles and other things. And uh, a big thank you to the chat room. What fun it is to have you guys uh, help with this uh, with with this endeavor to make a, a show a good show. We really appreciate you guys joining us. I know it's at a, a difficult time. And uh, don't worry, everybody. We don't think the Torah Resource Radio is actually going away. We have new ideas for Torah Resource Radio. So until then, until next time. Uh, be praying for Rob as he goes to the Holy Land, the land where one man walked, our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah. <laughs>